many times in life, we expect great things from great events or great people. Now, that leads us to another question. What do great events or great people look like? I mean, is greatness defined by the amount of celebrity someone has? Is greatness defined by a list of accomplishments? Is greatness defined as an event with the most people? What defines greatness? Right, I, this is a dictionary definition of what greatness is, but the dictionary defines greatness as a state of superiority, large in size, exceptionally high quality. Now, what if the reality for us is God's greatness is not seen in the way we most associate with greatness? In fact, what if our desire for greatness often comes at a point of contradiction to what God sees? In fact, I gotta be honest. And you want it, and it'll make it work. Um, so how about we'll just go with this, then that works too. Doesn't matter how often you check stuff, occasionally stuff still doesn't seem to work. But I got to be honest with you, if I'm honest, sometimes I'm guilty of wanting things to be great. Now, at one level, that's not a bad thing. Greatness isn't something that's bad. Like if you want to give your best to something to produce something that's of high quality, that's pretty good. However, if I'm honest, sometimes we want greatness for different reasons. I mean, maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you've wanted greatness so you can look better. In fact, maybe you've wanted people to think you are greater than you actually are. Many of us have been guilty of that. And so I want to be clear, striving for your best trying to produce something that is great, especially if we're talking in terms of what we do in life, if we're doing it with the right heart and the right reason, we should never want to give God something less than great. All right, we're like, hey God, you can have kind of the, the, like the leftover part of me or the leftover of that, but, but too often the great things we desire are really more about us. And the truth is, the more I strive after those things of greatness, the more I find they don't bring me what I hope for. In fact, what we find again and again is they lead to lives of hurry and competition and ruthlessness. But what if, what if if we're not careful, we can miss the simplicity that when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it was an invitation to a simpler way of life for us to live. What if we could find greatness in radically different ways? In fact, what if we began to find that God invites us into his greatness it's just found in different ways than we often expect. And I don't know about you, but in these days, I would love to live with more of a sense of peace. The world feels tumultuous, it's chaotic, it's confusing. But as I was thinking about greatness, I was thinking how so often some of the greatest things have come from young people where we least expect greatness to come from, often does come from young people. And here's just a couple examples. So Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein at 18 years of age. It's really impressive, by the way. Ruby Bridges, at the age of six in New Orleans, was the first one to break the color barrier and go to school in the midst of riots and protests. 
Joan of Arc, by the age of 19, had saved France and been executed. By 19. Right? These and many other stories are incredible things that we see that have happened over time in which we see greatness. But I would argue today that maybe the greatest thing that has ever happened by a young person is Mary giving birth to Jesus. See, Mary's story illustrates for us how often we miss that the greatest things happen in places and among people that we least expect. So here are these words from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't know about you, but can you imagine being Mary? I mean, I struggle with it because I'm one, I'm a male, so it's really hard for me to imagine being Mary because I'm not a girl, but I was thinking, can you imagine being her? And so, so sometimes it's helpful to know some background on her story. So it says she's engaged to be married. You're like, oh, okay, well, she's just engaged. Except in that culture, she would have been what we would known as betrothed, which means she's actually married. You just spent a year not living with your husband while he prepared the family home, and so Mary is actually married. And here's the other part that's crazy for me to think about. Mary would have been between the ages of 12 and 14. Often we have this picture of this scene in our head of this young woman, we think probably mid-20s, you know, that's kind of the picture we have, this, this young woman who kind of has her life together. This is an adolescent, a teenager, a young girl who is told, you will be this one. And by the way, once you know, you're pregnant. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I'd be freaking out if I was her, especially in a culture in which that if she was found to be pregnant, and her husband said, it's not mine. She would have been executed without question. That was her fate. So here's this young girl who's told by this angel, hey, by the way, you're highly favored by God. Really, I'm so highly favored that I'm pregnant. That really sounds something. And, and then she asked what really is a pretty reasonable question. Um, how can this be? 
I mean, most teenagers are pretty smart and they kind of know that there's some things that have to happen in order for someone to be pregnant. And I've never done those things, so I can't really be pregnant. How is this going to happen? Because in her mind, I can just hear these thoughts. I'm just a teenager. I haven't done what's necessary to produce a baby. They can kill me if they find out I'm pregnant. Have you seen a baby being born? They don't even have epidurals. No, I was thinking that. She wouldn't have thought that because they didn't have them then either. But I mean, can you imagine? I've watched this happen a couple times in my life. I can't imagine what was going through her mind. And the messenger from God says these words. Do not be afraid. All throughout the scriptures. Again and again and again, these words keep popping up. Don't be afraid. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If I was Mary, I would have been terrified. And if you tell me you wouldn't have, I think you're lying. But Mary actually isn't terrified. It's really one of the most mind-blowing things in this. She asks some legitimate questions like, how can this be? But she's not saying like, not me, not me, Lord, why me? Why? No, no, no. She says, okay. Okay. The angel gives her these words that God is with you. And the question for you and I is, are those words enough for, for, you, for us? That God is with you. So Mary just asks logical questions like, how, how can this happen? You know, I, don't, I didn't do what this takes, so what, what's going on here? But I love Mary's response. Mary's response epitomizes for us what might happen if we really did lean in and begin to trust God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, God, I I believe you are who you say you are, and I will trust my life and my future to you. I mean, Mary honestly epitomizes for us in this moment why so often we miss it because what we don't see is often God works in young people that we just kind of push aside and ignore and think, well, someday you'll understand when you get the real world. But maybe one of the reasons Jesus often talks about the faith of young people or even young or new believers' faith is because sometimes they get it better than those of us who've been around a lot longer or who have believed longer. And so I I think what Mary epitomizes for us is often our best teachers are those younger than us. I love this story um, Holly told to me, I think it, um, probably, I don't know, a year and a half ago. It had, could have been this last summer, but Pastor Holly told me this story about her son, Bryden. And she and Dan had gone to the Unity Festival, and they were going in the next day. And um, obviously it wasn't this past summer, but, but it must have been the one before that. And Bryden had seen this homeless guy as they were walking in the night before. And so the next night, he didn't tell anyone in his family he grabbed his wallet with all the money he had to his name and he planned on giving it to the homeless guy when he got there. And as they're walking, his mom goes, why do you have your wallet? Well, and so he told her, she said, oh, you, you don't need to do that. I like, well, what? You don't need to do that. I mean, and she went through all the reasons in her own mind and said some of them of like, you know, well, we just don't know where they're going to spend the money and we're not sure what they're going to do with that. We, all the reasons why you and I might not help someone who's on the street. Right? They're just going to buy drugs or alcohol, so we just don't want to support that, or whatever it is we might think. Why do we do that? Right? Is it because we know logically there may be truth to that? 
possible, but does that negate our responsibility when we feel convicted by God to be generous? And so what I can't help every time I think about that story is how often when I'm tempted to just pass right on by, that maybe, maybe Bryden's example is something I should learn from. Maybe Bryden's example is something you should learn from as well. Maybe what we begin to find is that God uses the young people in their faith, which sometimes is simple in all the right ways, to teach us something that we might not have done on our own. And that's really Mary's story. To say, yes, that I'm going to trust God in all situations, in all circumstances. Mary has no power and no control. She's incredibly vulnerable. But in that space, she trusts herself to God. Mary models for us what might happen if our relationship really is centered in being with God. And then let's talk just for a second about who this angel tells Mary she's going to give birth to. In fact, he basically says, Mary, you're going to be a part of what is the greatest event in human history. You're like, well, I mean, births happen every few seconds. I don't know how many globally happen in a day, but it's a lot. Like, I'm not sure what the exact number might be. He says, Mary, but this will be different. This baby, you'll name him Jesus. We know from other gospel writers that he'll be called Emmanuel or God with us. And then the angel goes on to tell her, and he'll be from the line of David. And you're like, well, okay, what's that mean? But if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll see in that Chapter, the prophet tells King David, your line will reign forever. So the angel's telling Mary, this person that we have longed for among this community of faith that's going to set all of humanity right, this person is here now coming, and he is in your womb. And I don't know about you, but that's difficult for us to see. But what we see in this story is often God's greatness comes in ways we did not expect. I mean, in this story, we see just two, two incredible stories. Elizabeth, a woman thought to be barren, could never have children. She's pregnant. She's old, like really old, like way too old for kids. We see God does this all throughout the scriptures. Sarah, Rachel. And there's Mary. She's even been with a man. How can she be pregnant? But this is what God does. You see, what we see again and again and again is that God's greatness, God's power is not found in palaces and military might. It's not seen in wealth, but it is seen in the beauty of vulnerability. Does it get any more vulnerable than a teenage virgin giving birth? Does it get any more vulnerable than God coming as baby? Does it get any more vulnerable than naked and dying on a cross? See, Jesus is not born in a palace, but just an ordinary home, an ordinary place, a common place Jesus is born. Not in the palace of kings where there's gold and robes and attendants, but unlikely a Family house in the outskirts. This is how God enters into the story. See, what we begin to find out is God most often shows up in the places of vulnerability, and his greatness is magnified in those 
spaces. We so often look for greatness in, in the grandiose and in the big and these random things. We look for it among people. and We think greatness is defined in all kinds of ways by the zeros in your checking account, by the number of followers you have on social media. We define greatness in all kinds of ways, but God seems to show up again and again in the places of vulnerability, in places that just don't make sense. And so i got to be honest with you, as I've continued to have conversations with many of you who call this church home or even who don't, people are struggling in these days. I said to someone this week, I think almost everyone has like a low-grade depression. And some people, it's not even low-grade, it's just full-blown. We don't know what to do. Feel scared. Some feel lonely. All of us are tired. Where does God show up in the midst of this? See, I think Mary's story illustrates for us that God is with us. In the midst of difficulty and heartache and suffering and fear, and the words of the angel are the same words to us. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Do not be afraid. God is with you. And I can't help but think if you and I respond in the same way Mary did, if we respond in that same way, that we might see God move in us in radically different ways. If you and I said, God, I'm yours. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I'm going to trust you with today and tomorrow and all the rest of my days. I am yours. What we might see is greatness shows up in the middle of that. In fact, I'd say it this way. The greatest act of Jesus' life was willfully surrendering for the sake of others. The greatest act of our lives is willfully surrendering to Jesus. greatest act of Jesus' life was willfully surrendering for the sake of others. The greatest act of our life is to willfully surrender to Jesus. I don't know. But I believe if you and I will do that, if we'll trust in the goodness of God that shows up in the places of the most vulnerable, and his power is seen in the places that we least expect, that if we will do that, what we might find is that God really is with us. It really is enough to give us peace for this moment and a peace that can last for all eternity. So I just want you to reflect on this idea. What if, what if the birth of Jesus is an invitation to know and experience and feel God's peace? Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you today for showing up many, many years ago and for continually showing up in each and every one of our lives. And God, I pray this day that we recognize it. And I pray this day that we see you when you show up and that you allow our eyes to be open to that. Because in those moments are the moments that we are drawn closer to you because you've come closer to us. And God, I pray that we do not forget what this season is truly about. It's about the the moment where history changed. Because the God that we love, loves us so much. You love us so much. 
that you came and joined us here in the ultimate sign of humility. And God, I know I am personally so grateful. So God, I pray that this day you help us to feel the peace that comes with that arrival. God, I pray all this in your name.